This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia ora and welcome to a very special edition episode of the Half Measures Podcast. I am once again joined by my friend and co-host Paul Kanawa and this week you are in for a treat. Paul, what are we doing? Kia ora Dan, I am excited as well. When you said you're in for a really special treat, I was like, oh, have we got James Cameron coming on the pod or something? You know, because it is special though, because we are going to be doing something which we do every now and then, which is we're going to to do a deep dive. Um, So a little while ago, uh, Dan and I reviewed uh, the two Alien prequel movies, and it really, you know, whetted the appetite for us to do a rewatch of the original four Alien movies. And we always said that we'd come back to them, and here we are. I'm excited, Dan. Indeed, so we've got four pretty uh, unique movies to talk you through. Um, definitely got some thoughts and feelings that we're going to share. If you haven't watched the Alien movies, highly recommend you um, getting access to those. You can watch them in New Zealand on uh, Disney Plus through Star. But these are some great classics, and I'm looking forward to the deep dive. Indeed. So, so look, it's, it's probably worth... Uh, you know, setting the scene in terms of the chronologically, chronological, chronology. You know the word I mean. The chronology. Another one uh, of this of this alien uh, movie universe. So, in 1979, uh, director Ridley Scott introduced us to the year 2122 uh, in the first of these alien movies, and the series was born, and then. This movie was followed by the three sequels that we're going to review, Aliens in 86, Alien 3 in 92, and Alien Resurrection in 97. Um, For over a decade, there was then this constant speculation about a a fifth Alien movie, which, despite having two Alien vs. Predator spin-offs, it never actually happened. And then in 2012... Ridley Scott returned and uh, he did the the sequel, sorry, the prequel movie, uh, Prometheus. And then five years later, he directed another prequel, Alien Covenant. And it's, so in podcast episode 73, uh, Dan and I, we review those, those, those prequels. And in this podcast, we're going to dive into the original four. Um, they call it the Alien Anthology now. Back in the day, up until, you know, those two prequels came along, it was called the Alien Quadrilogy. And so that's where we're that's where we're gonna go. So if we start off then, as it makes sense to do so, with Alien 1979, the synopsis here, on its way back to Earth, the commercial mining spaceship, the Nostromo, is diverted to a desolate planet. Uh, where there's a a bit of a weird signal being picked up. And when they get there, they discover thousands of egg-like objects. Um, A creature is released from one of the eggs. It attaches itself to a crewman's face, rendering him unconscious. And then the others break quarantine to rescue him. Eventually it dies. We think everything's fine. We're sitting around a dinner table. We're having some food and a cigarette. And then soon afterwards, one of the most amazing and most memorable cinematic moments as an alien organ organism bursts out of the chest of john hurt and rapidly grows into this lethal alien and um yeah so 
that's our premise for the first movie. That's the one that kicks it off. For me, Dan, this is the scariest of all sci-fi for me, this movie. Alien has set a standard, this first movie, 1979, that really has not been surpassed. And it, and it, it spans so many genres. It's not just sci-fi and horror. For me, I would also put it in my top 10 thriller movies. It's just that good for me. Yeah, look, I couldn't agree more. This, you know, this is a spoiler, but th- this is the best. This is Alien for me at its greatest. And I've got so many fond memories of the uh, the Alien Alien movies growing up. But I, I still remember um, watching with my, my cousins over Christmas one year. Um, alien, and I remember my uncle saying to me, "Don't show this to your like the other the younger cousins that are asleep, yeah. and don't let them wa- watch this with you." And this is just edge of your seat stuff. And I think what's so great about a movie like Alien, you know, thinking that this came out in um, 1979, is the the future thinking, the sci-fi element, the imagining the future. And I know that we get we get lots of that through Star Trek and Star Wars and, you know, all sorts of other movies um, of that time. But it's just, this was, you know, brought to life in a way that was just so cutting edge for its time. And it's also got such a, a star-studded cast, like Sigourney Weaver, so many classic um, scenes from that movie, particularly in, in the jumpsuit with the cat. Mm. We've got Tom Skerritt, we've got John Hurt, we've got Veronica Cartwright, Harry Dean Stanton, and Homer. It's it, this is a fantastic movie, and I think when you say um, the sort of the tension, the thriller element, this movie is a haunted house in space, and it's fantastic. I love that a haunted house in space. That is exactly what it is. It's spoiler alert for me too. This this is my favorite. Um, and that's that's across all of them, including the prequels. And, and you and I both love Prometheus, right? But um, it's it is a masterpiece that I feel it's it hasn't aged. Certainly not relative to other movies from that time in the seventies. It's still it's still so so clean and crisp. And uh, I I just love the simplicity. And you know, as we talk about the the the, the subsequent movies that become more more complex. That's not a criticism. Well, maybe it is for some of them. We'll get there. But for this one, it's the simplicity. It's that um, just this, there's, there's an alien on the ship and, and that's it. And I think, that, you know, we often talk about this in some of our, our favourite movies that we've re- reviewed over the years, that when there's kind of those tight confounds, like you think about a TV show like Criminal, right, and it's often only one or two scenes, obviously Alien's a bit more than that, but it's still very, like, you're so you're trapped in that spaceship, it's very dark, it's very kind of like slow moving and I think one of the greatest things that this movie does compared to the other movies which I'm sure we'll talk about is they actually you know you don't get to see the alien that often Mm. and that's what makes it terrifying when you know I'm jumping forward a little bit when you compare it to a movie um, like Alien Resurrection um, the fourth movie where you know the aliens are much like they're always in it they're quite visible this does a great job at just letting your own emotions and fear kind of build up and that's what makes it great and that's why I think it's still such a classic today it is, and it's that slow build-up as well that goes alongside that in terms of a real slow pace. And the we've talked about it before, but you're right. The what you've just said, the 
not seeing the alien too much is is so key to this. Um, like I feel like we see more of the cat than we do of the alien, which is a strange thing to say. But um, Sigourney Weaver is amazing in it. Um, the 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 android, the synthetic that Ian Holm plays, Ash. I remember the first time watching this and not realizing what he was and just being blown away and the the, the clever cinematography the way they shot the film uh, sorry the scenes where the head is his head is off and obviously the rest of his body's under the table but it's so effective just as the chest bursting scene is as well the music is haunting even talking about it dan right now and given that we've just watched it of course i feel like i could go and watch it again tonight Oh, look, without a doubt. And I think, you know, you only have to, and I'm sure every every person who's ever watched Alien or Fate, most people who, you know, understand sort of a little bit of sort of horror or science fiction concepts, you know, have all put their hand under their T-shirt and like pumped it forward like it's a like it's going to burst out of your chest. And even that is such a, a terrifying concept, isn't it, that, you know, I remember as a kid thinking, imagine something like bursting out of your chest cavity is, is horrific. And, you know, that's what, that's what I mean. Like, this this movie does a great job at instilling that fear. And the fact that this movie is 40-plus years old, mm. like, it's, it's incredible. You know, this movie is as, as, as old as I am, and I'm not holding up that well, you know? <laughs> no, this movie's aged very, very well. And I, I want to come back to what you said about the cast, because... Uh, as we talk through the sequels, one of the things that this movie has that other movies, certainly the latter two, don't have is the quality of cast. Um, and as you said, like Tom Skerritt and John Hurt, uh, to name a couple. Um, but what I did find interesting in a little bit of Half Measures review uh, research was the original script. The ship was an all-male crew um, and the Ripley character was initially going to be played by by Tom Skerritt. But when the Fox president and producers at the time um, read it and when they heard rumours of other um, other people working with some strong female leads, it was decided to cast a female as Ripley and Skerritt then became Captain Dallas. And that, that moment is a significant moment in, in history because for me, I cannot imagine this franchise without... Sigourney Weaver as Ellen Ripley. It was a genius piece of casting and this is the signature role for her. I don't know if we've ever done a peak performance on Sigourney Weaver. I'm not sure if we have, but I mean, I don't know how I could ever go past this in, in a lifetime. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think we need to if we haven't done one because I think that, yes, this role has been so 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 defining, right, and so iconic. And that's what I talk about when I'm, you know, those pictures of her holding the cat in the in the space jumpsuit. There's there's so many iconic moments. And I think the other uh character that needs a shout out is actually uh, Helen Horton who plays the the voice of mother. And and mm-hmm. just a, another like amazing um way of kind of bringing a character to life who doesn't have a physical presence on screen um, but is a, is a presence on screen in 1979, I, I think it's just fantastic. I would love to sit down with someone who's never heard of this movie, has no idea what's coming, doesn't see the poster, because when you think about that opening 25 minutes, maybe longer, I'm not, I'm not sure now, but you know, it's just a research mission. There's a crew, they're sort of doing a bit of keep fit. They're having breakfast at the table. Nothing seems to be going on. And I love... I'm obsessed with slow pace build up and that's probably one of the reasons why it's my number one. 
I would love to see the reaction of someone who's never seen this movie before. And um, I think that would be something quite special. If you've, if you've managed to avoid everything about this universe, I think it would be, I can't imagine it. It'd be like watching it yourself for the first time. And I think this is what's so great about it, right? Like you, you and I have just said, we've only just watched it and we could already sit down and watch this movie all over again, which I don't think you can say for all of the other movies. Um, because this is, even as a standalone movie, fantastic. It is. And I think, you know, jumping out to those other movies, certainly the latter two, what what, uh, what this movie has is that crew and, you know, obviously, spoiler alert, none of them make it beyond uh, uh, beyond Sigourney Weaver's Ripley character. And I think it's just a shame in some respects that that was the case because I would love to have seen some of these movies uh, in the future have these characters in it. But of course, the first movie wouldn't have worked as well if Dallas had survived, if, if, if Kane had survived. So, you know, it, it is what it is. That, that's right. It actually made Ripley a, a more powerful and more unique character yeah. because of it. So... It's a it's a shame, but it's great, and I think that's actually a similar thing in Prometheus, isn't it? That you know most of the characters are lost apart you know apart from our our main actress. Yeah, no, it's um, there's so many iconic scenes. I think that's you know the measure of a movie when you can just think of all the iconic scenes that happen throughout. You know, you think about movies like Star Wars or or Superman, and just you can just immediately visualize those scenes. And this one is is full of it. the the face hugger just i just feel even to this day just terrified when i see anything that comes out of the ocean that maybe like a lobster or whatever that looks even remotely like this it just i i can't deal with it i thought you might have gone for maybe like an octopus but a, a lobster i don't like know this it. <laughs> there's something that comes out of the ocean which looks like one of these face huggers you're laughing at me but i swear there's something that comes out of the ocean yeah. that looks like these things oh definitely and look the the face hugger is another terrifying like, like the idea of being suffocated by an alien while it's like is horrific and once you kind of know the fear of a face hugger that inspires fear throughout the rest of the franchise right like you don't want no one should be poking their face into anything um for the fear of the unknown exactly right exactly right so so yeah so that's 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 the first movie i think you know you and i've given a good account that it's you know, a general just that this is the best. And it's it's almost a shame when you're doing a review of movies and you're starting off strong because, you know, I, I'd love it if it was the other way around and we sort of got to the fourth one and that was the best. But, you know, it is what it is. So whilst um, this movie, you know, was successful, um, Fox didn't consider a sequel until 1983 when uh, James Cameron expressed interest and he wanted to to continue the alien story and of course at that point james cameron's terminator had become a massive box office hit and so they were given the the approval to go ahead and direct and produce a sequel to alien uh, scheduled for uh, a 1986 release and so in this one 57 years in hypersleep after surviving the events of the first movie ripley awakens aboard a, a medical space station orbiting earth uh, she recounts the events of the Nostromo, but is disbelieved by her superiors in the Weyland Utani Corporation, which has begun to terraform uh, a planet from the first movie. And with the contact with the colony lost, Ripley is persuaded to accompany a squad of Marines. And I can't wait to get into those Marines. Uh, and they discover what they think is going to be a walk in the park, that actually there's a few things going on on this planet. And 
there's only one, there's there's only one word for this movie, Dan, and it is action adventure awesomeness. That's three words. So there's not just one word. It's this is an action movie of the highest caliber. Yeah, and I think you know. So I, I think that's a good summary. If the first movie is a haunted house in space, this is a, a classic action movie. And I think even you know thinking about James Cameron and Terminator and kind of the the prim- this is a very similar premise actually to Sarah Connor, right? Like trying to be like, look, the machines are coming. You need to get prepared. We need to fight back. Same thing, right? Like no one kind of believes Rip, uh, Ripley. Now. Ironically, this is, I think, my my second favorite movie, even you know, even though it's called Aliens Two. So, this is still a good movie. I think you're right. This has a, a fantastic cast of Marines um, who Ripley ends up working with, and it's still a good like it's a good story, but it's quite a a different pace and vibe to the first Alien movie. But in saying that, it does give us like fantastic characters, like Lance um, Henriksen's Bishop um, is, is is so good. So it's kind of a, a fun ride in the Alien universe to kind of go from that slow pace into something quite intense. But if you were looking for consistency, this is a a, a real step in a different direction. Oh, it, it really is. The action in this movie is ramped up tenfold compared to to Alien. Um, yeah, and whilst that is my favorite, if I want an action movie, this is the one from the franchise that I will always go to. I've, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. As a writer director, James Cameron is an absolute genius. Um, as writer directors go, I, when all said and done about some of the other greats, and you and I should probably do a podcast on writer directors one day, but I think this guy comes up top of the pack for me. There's there's just something about a James Cameron movie that, and this is a great example of how it delivers just so many great lines so many great cinematic moments so much tension the colonial marines the the michael bine uh the bill paxton uh that corporal hex and and private hudson those two together are absolutely amazing and of course jeanette goldstein as as private vasquez just just an incredible character who i would hate to meet in real life but in this movie is superb yeah, look, this it's such a different film, isn't it? Like, and it's almost like you're actually talking. To, we're almost talking about a whole different experiences, and I think that the action on this movie starts off quite early on, and it kind of continues all the way through. And it's interesting, I guess, kind of getting to under, understand Ripley a bit more as a character when she's got more kind of cast to, to bounce off of more of the Marines to work with, as opposed to her kind of solo journey in the first first film. Yeah, I think that's crucial is the, uh, there's two things, is, is the bouncing off of other characters and those characters are great. And what I love about this movie, and they could have done it a different way, is they had it so that no one believed her. And that's crucial because then the characters that we're watching go on the same journey that we went on in Alien in terms of coming in, not knowing what they're facing, not really thinking there's a threat. But as the audience, we're now coming in knowing exactly what they're up against. And even though these guys are the best of the best of the best and they've got all the weapons, and I mean all the weapons, they have some great weapons, they, we know before this movie is going to end that there'll be ve- barely anyone coming out alive, right? 
Definitely, and and this is often the way, right? Like when you've got a big troop of marines, and I think what's interesting looking at this cast list is there's so many big names in here, and to think of these actors today, if they were in if they were in an alien today, you wouldn't be killing off, you know, half of these people because they're they're too they're too a list. The um the scene with uh, Ripley in the uh, I don't know what you want to call it, basically the big Terminator Transformer type suit, the uh, the, the forklift Thank you. robotic suit that thing. That was a way mm. better description than a Terminator Transformer type thing. That was just, again, the type of thing you expect to see in a James Cameron movie. The, the, the speed and the ferocity at which the aliens move in this movie is ramped up and that becomes a lot more tense. And one of, I don't often say this, I don't think, but something that was memorable from this movie was a noise that a piece of technology made and that was the alien scanners that they're holding in their hands and it's just that beeping noise and the light on the screen and when it goes quicker you know there's an alien coming and you can see the pace at which it's coming that is terrifying i've even played back in the day uh the aliens uh, colonial marines game and they have that noise and that technology in there and it's it's it gets you going it's really drilling and rush it's it's funny, isn't it? Because there's there's a few games even out now. Like there's a, a new one that just came out uh, a month or so ago, um, Aliens Fireteam, and I I like the idea of being a you know you can basically pay as a a group of up to three marines and and fighting aliens, but they're just such a terrifying foe, and I feel like I would only want to play that game if I have maximum firepower. Like I don't want to be like desperate for bullets or anything because seeing aliens or facehuggers or whatever just scatter around the screen terrifying one of my favorite characters from the first movie was ash the, the the synthetic the android and the idea that he was gone coming to this movie lance henriksen coming in as bishop is genius casting he he redefines what that's that synthetic becomes what that that is he's um I don't want to say arguably better than than Ian Holm. I don't know what I'm what I mean by that. I just feel that Bishop is somehow more iconic. He has a little bit of a different relationship with Ripley that, of course, Ash never had. There was always a real big tension in that first movie, and Lance Henriksen in this in this movie as Bishop is, for me, absolute standout. He's uh, he's one of the best. Yeah, no, look, definitely, I I couldn't agree more. And even the way that you know people sort of discovering that he's a synthetic and an android, people don't like that about. Like it's 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 another interesting component to the film. Um, I think this is um, another like like Alien is quite dark. This is a super dark film as well. Lots of kind of like uh, dark spaces with like red yeah. lighting or fire and space like that but it, it again it does all of those things that help build up the the atmosphere and the tension in the environment and i, I think this is still a, a great alien movie in the alien franchise but still my overall preferred pace would be alien one no agreed the other thing this movie introduces which we didn't have in the first and i think works so well is the character of newt the the young girl who's the the sole survivor and of course now ripley who you you watch throughout the first movie wanting her to survive now she has um you know she her empathy her, her her desire to save this this young girl is is actually now her primary mission and so that adds another dynamic which is is great and i think 
the journey, and we'll talk about this when we get to three, but the journey to, to, to save her is actually becomes the driving force for the latter third of the movie. Yeah, no, look, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. I'm not even going to try and do that voice because Private Hudson, <laughs> that, that the, the line "game over, man" uh, is just is just superb. It's one of the all time top ten movie quotes for me. Nice. So, should we move on? Yeah, let's do it. So, following the the second movie. Sigourney Weaver was not interested in returning to the series. And so the the producers, uh, David Geiler and Walter Hill, uh, side note, that's the android names, David and Walter. That's where they come from in the prequel movies, those two producers. They went ahead and commissioned a, a third movie without Ripley. Um, Fox producers, when they saw it, they were just not interested in going ahead without Sigourney Weaver. So they... They offered her $5 million and a producer credit to make Alien 3 and promised to bring closure to the Ripley character by by killing her off. And so Alien 3 comes about in 1992. Um, so this, um, you know, immediately following the events of Aliens, the, the military ship, the USS Silico, carrying the survivors, catches fire. Uh, the occupants are ejected in an asp- Gate pod, which crash lands on the refinery prison planet Fury 161, and all on board, except for Ripley, are killed. An alien facehugger is also aboard and impregnates an animal with an alien, which soon begins killing inmates and wardens. Um, now, I made a, a very deliberate point of saying that all aboard except Ripley are killed. Um, it's so, it's such a shame for me. This is how I'm, I'm going to start off real negative. It's such a shame for me that this third movie does not bring Newt through on the journey um, and does not bring um, Corporal Hicks through because, of course, those were the three survivors at the end of, of Aliens. Um, and straight away, right from the start, they're gone. Yeah. And I think. <sighs> The great thing about the alien um, naming is they've they've pre-ranked the movies for me um, in a way that I, I I consider them as well. So so Alien Three and it's in its right spot as Alien Three. So we've got our our haunted house in space, we've got our action adventure, and now we've got our prison escape movie. And I think what's um, what's interesting about Alien Three is you've got the you've kind of got a bit of a repeat of the journey, right? Like. Um, Ripley kind of knowing that the threat that the aliens have, but actually being on a, a prison planet in itself is a terrifying concept, right? Like you're basically on a th- these people like like we've talked about this a lot on the podcast. Prison movies and prison stories are quite fascinating to us, but you mix that in with also aliens and facehuggers and all sorts of things going on. That's quite a, a a cocktail of things to have to deal with, and I think. You know, I, I actually, you know, growing up, like I remember, like enjoying. Like, this is a really sort of badass Ripley for me. Like, you know, we've got Sakoni Weaver with the the shaved head. Um, she she kind of knows her stuff now. She knows how to deal with these threats. Uh, she can definitely hold her own. Uh, but it's kind of I I don't think the the storytelling or the. Uh, it doesn't quite have the right components to be up there with um, Alien One and Two. No, you're right, and I 
I think you know the the haunted house, the action, and now the the prison is a good way of looking at it because for me, there's just simply too much time focusing on those other prisoners. And a lot of them were actually really annoying. And I'm going to be really harsh here, but looking at the the, the support cast, with the exception of, of Charles Dance and Paul McGann, the rest of them, I'm sorry, I, I just don't think they're up to the... Oh, sorry, Charles S. Dutton as Dylan, he was good too. But the the other sort of five, six, seven, eight that I'm looking at who played this, I just, they just didn't do it for me. And it's a real shame because, like you said, it, it was a real iconic look for Ripley with the shaved head. I actually remember leaving the cinema um, for this movie, and I think that's because of the ending. I think it is a powerful ending with her sacrificing her own life. Um, I think it's, um, you know, the the fact that she didn't want to come back brought about the fact they're going to kill her off. It felt to me like I I also remember coming out of the cinema for Terminator 2. Um, It's a powerful ending with, with, you know, Annie's, terminator going into the lava it's a similar thing here it's a at a at a teenage age i thought it was quite a poignant moment but um if i if i take away that it's it's just so different to the first two movies because in those movies i cared about dallas and ash and kane and i cared about the you know even the those crazy colonial marines that we were just talking about i just don't care about anyone in this movie and they've taken away newt as well so all i care about is ripley and so that's why the ending's significant. Yeah, no, I think that that's a, a really good point. And even just looking, again, as you say, looking through the cast list, there's no one really there and thinking about this movie, anyone you really kind of cared about too much. And I think because this is going to sound actually really horrible, but because they're prisoners, like it kind of like low, like lowered their yeah. survival chances in this sort of context anyway and and there's you know there's lots of sort of like um moments of trying to like shut off doors shut them in ripley trying to convince people and we've kind of just had that already um with the previous movie and i know there's quite big gaps between um each of these movies but again it's it's just nowhere near in the same league or tier as as those other movies you're right and i need to correct myself once again Pete Postlewaite was also really good. Sorry, as a, as another prisoner. So maybe maybe there was three others, but everyone else is out. Um, and you're right. And again, whether it sounds terrible or not, I'm going to say it. Because they're prisoners, it, it was hard to form any real connection or care about them because a lot of them, from what from what it sounded like, from the crimes they committed, deserved to be where they were. And so when they're getting chased, chased by an alien, I'm kind of like with the alien, like, take them out. He probably deserves it, you know, whereas you never have that in the first two movies. You're always rooting for the the good guys. And um, so, yeah, and, you know, like you were talking about the other movies, it is very dark. But this one's a very, a, a very dirty red brown color throughout. And something about that feel just I, I don't know why that didn't resonate with me as well. I did love the bishop scene, though. I was so glad that we had the the Lance Henriksen uh android head um from the crashed ship i thought that was a, a nice touch it was it was like oh when he shows up i'm like oh finally someone i care about yeah no definitely and i think there's something about um movies where they've had to kind of like drag the the key actor or actress back to the film and be like look let, let me solve these problems with money let's make that go away because that'll really help us um that makes me a little bit worried um 
for some other sort of movies coming out in the future with uh, where actors have had to be sort of pulled back in. But it's it often just like are they their hearts not really in it? They're probably out because the story is not quite as good. It's probably not quite heading where they want it to go. And I think look overall we did get a conclusion to Ripley's story, which was good. Um, but as a as a third movie, it's nothing super nothing super special when you compare it to how great those other ones are. No, it really isn't. And I think you're you're so on the money there when you talk about the money because that's never the right motivation and that is why this podcast works so well because, you know, we refuse to pay ourselves a salary and we do it for the love, right? That's right. That's right. So, Dan, that brings us to the fourth movie. So at the time, the fans and the critics generally didn't actually like Alien 3 too much. Um I remember coming out the cinema, as I said, thinking it was all right, but generally it got some negative reviews. But much like this podcast, it was a worldwide success. And so surprise, surprise, it piqued Fox's interest again into a fourth movie. And with Ripley's character now dead, she obviously was not in the, the, the script of the first draft. And Sigourney Weaver had already said she wasn't interested in returning. $11 million dollars was what it took this time to change your mind. And I think at that point, you're like, I don't even care what the script says. That's that's a payday I can't turn down. And so we have our movie Alien Resurrection 1997. This is set 200 years after the events of Alien 3. Um, several clones of, of Ripley, including the alien queen she was carrying, are grown by the military. Um, and they're looking to exploit the aliens and, and use the humans kidnapped um, for their own good of course surprise surprise the aliens escape and ripley 8 um, which is a clone mixed with alien dna and the mercenaries attempt to escape and destroy them before it reaches earth <sighs> look paul again this this is ranked accordingly in the order and i think you know the internet or fandom says, you know what, we're not happy with Alien 3. And so they make Alien Resurrection, which really pushes Alien 3 up in the list of actually, actually that was probably quite a good ending. I think this is a hard movie to love as an Alien fan. It like it does some interesting things, obviously bringing Ripley back and kind of doing things in a, in a unique way. But I actually think they've kind of started to fatigue the storyline at this at this point. And it's kind of hard to be really interested in the fact that for the last three movies, we've been doing everything we can do to get rid of these aliens because they're, they're a, th- a super threat to, uh, to humans. And now we're at the point where... We're we're breeding them. We've got them in in cages, and this is the movie I was referring to uh, when I when I compare it to um, 1979 Alien, where you you hardly see the alien at all. This movie, you spend so much time looking at the alien that it kind of generates too many like too many questions for you around. Is this actually a good design for an alien? Is it actually the puppetry of this any good? Like, and I, it, it it's a. It's a shame that this movie is this, in my view. Yeah. Oh, look, I couldn't agree with you more. Sigourney Weaver's character annoys me in this film. Um, Her face, her movement, 
and that is not a that's not a criticism of of Sigourney Weaver's acting at all because she is playing this Ripley clone as it should be played. Um, I just didn't want to see a, a Ripley clone. I didn't. I don't want to see Ripley if it's not Ripley's personality. Um, and then, so if I haven't got Ripley, I'm looking at the support cast, and with the exception of Winona Ryder as Cal, who's our third android synthetic and a well hidden synthetic that was not revealed into a long time in the movie. That was one of the positives for me. I thought that was well done. With the exception of her, and I've read ahead here, Dan, so that I don't make a fool of myself again. Uh, her and Ron Perlman, with the exception of those two, I feel like. The, again, the, this harsh as it may be, this is not the standard for a movie genre of this size and, and significance. None of them are there. But at the end of the day, they're not given a script to, to work with either. So um, whilst I'm afraid to say it, whilst Josh Whedon is at the helm, this is this is something that rarely for him, you can say this, that he's written that just didn't work. Yeah, and I think, you know, Talking of that support cast, you know, we thought we didn't care about the prisoners. This was an even harder support cast to give any cares about. Like, these were such generic, you know, you know, Ron Perlman, he's been in a lot of great stuff, but just generic kind of action hero characters and playing kind of cheesy roles. It just, it just didn't work. And I think it's such a interesting trajectory of these films to just go from just like intense thriller horror into whatever this movie is like the fact that they're even in the same um category as each other or connected is is a shame it is and it's i kind of i guess where if i'm going to sympathize with with people if i put myself in the writer's chair and i get told right you're writing an alien movie you're bringing in Sigourney Weaver somehow. How are you going to do that? Because they they couldn't do a prequel to Alien because before that she'd never seen an alien, so that wouldn't work. Could they do a movie between two and three while she's in you know in, in on the ship? Uh, I don't know. So it is an interesting design problem in terms of a script to try and how do you how do you do that? But this this uh, this just didn't work, and I think this is largely the reason why we didn't get that fifth movie. Whilst we, you know, we 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 had to wait until twenty twelve. And when you look at because you know in episode seventy three when we reviewed Prometheus and, and Covenant. The success of those movies for me was around they just went back to story they went back to good writing and they didn't try to to force a story around a character because that is a mistake as much as we all love Sigourney Weaver we would have rather ended her journey uh, on Fury 161. Interesting isn't it that like when when I think back now like when we first reviewed Prometheus and Covenant on the podcast you know, we loved Prometheus, but, you know, Covenant was a bit of a, it was okay, but it was nowhere near to the standard of Prometheus. And it's funny because they've kind of repeated the process, right? Like Alien, fantastic. Prometheus, pretty, pretty, pretty good up there with fantastic. Then it starts to get a little bit shaky because they kind of changed the whole dynamic of it again. Um, so Alien, Aliens and Covenant actually have quite a similar vibe to them when yes. you sort of think about that pairing. Exactly, that's a hundred percent. It's a real good observation. the The pace of Covenant ramps up the action, and uh, you know, you and I both said how much we would love uh, a third 
prequel movie. You know, I think it's been titled Alien Awakenings and, and various other um, scripts have been floating around. But um, we only want them to do it if they're going to do it right. I always think, because I'm an optimist, but if you've got Ridley Scott at the helm, you've got the quality of cast that we have these days with respect to this this cast here. Um, I feel like surely they couldn't get it wrong. But um, funnier things have happened. I almost think that this is probably, you know, this is probably controversial. Let's um, kind of just leave the leave this these movies without. Let's go for a reboot and actually have a have a whole new cast and sort of reset the universe in a way that um, gives them more avenues to kind of do sequels. And I know that this is probably going to be triggering for so many people because uh, th- there is so much lore in here, but. It's kind of frustrating though, like, you know, you could come in here and you could do something really good, but it's annoying then that you've got to go this on this up and down journey of good and bad content to kind of like see it all kind of stitched together. Dan, when we have our stand up before we record a podcast and we, you know, we go through what's on the schedule and any risk issues or blockers, I really think this is the sort of thing you should be bringing up to me so that I know there's a, there's a risk that you're going to mention that we should be rebooting this franchise and not completing the prequel trilogy. I, I'm hearing it live on the podcast. I'm, I'm left speechless. I don't think, I, I don't think that's the answer. Look, I'm a, I'm a real hot, uh, hot rock I know, um, I know. employee <laughs> and you never know what I'm going to get. Even I don't know. Just comes out, comes spewing out of my mouth, a bit like a, a bit like a alien acid. So, um, just really quickly, because I know you you haven't seen either of the two spin-offs, but I so I finished Resurrection, and I was kind of excited having watched the them, even though Alien Resurrection really bummed me out. I felt like I needed another hit, and so I watched both of the Alien versus Predator movies, and um, I don't think we need to give the the premise other than I think the clues in the title somewhere on the line, those two franchises meet and um, perhaps they don't sit down and have a cup of tea. Shall we say, I don't consider them canon in my mind. I don't know if they are. It doesn't really matter. They are not great movies. Ultimately, no matter what anyone else says or me about the movies in the context of a Saturday night popcorn movie that brings together two movie franchises that I love. I think that these both do enough. The second one is pretty weird, but I will always watch them if they happen to be on TV or whatever. Um, and the the one minus... Oh, no, I shouldn't give... Should I, look, there's one minor spoiler. Lance Henriksen shows up in the in the movie. And, the, and of course, because we know Bishop was a an android, um, so you've got that sort of link in there. So um, I would recommend you go see them, but my goodness make sure you're in the right frame of mind because the last thing I need is you coming onto the podcast triggered. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny because these, like I'm a fan of Predator, the the first movie. The idea of mixing Alien and Predator has never overly appealed to me, but I know a lot of people that love these movies Mm. and they they do have a, a special place in a lot of people's hearts. Yeah, no, they really do. So, um, yeah, so look when we look at the the franchise as a whole, at least when we look at this quadrilogy as a whole, the the one consistent that we have throughout is is Sigourney Weaver. And when you look across the the linkages across the four, yes, we have Lance Henriksen show up in in two of the movies, very briefly Michael Bine uh, as a flashback, but realistically, it is the Sigourney Weaver franchise. And I think what we just talked about before with the final two movies. Um, as that's where the problem all begins because we're trying to, to base it around her. But as a whole, as a package, 
and I've done this a few times now, overall, I always have a great time watching these movies. It's just a shame that they don't get better. Whereas if you think about something like Mission Impossible, for me, that just keeps getting better. So that makes it a really good rewatch. Yeah, it's interesting, right? I was thinking about this just before, that, you know, most people are just watching these movies and when the movie finishes, they might, you know, they might sort of be a, a fan or sort of passionate about it, but because we're actually having a, a conversation about what we like and don't like about them, we're probably putting them under a, a far more critical eye than the, the average watcher might be. And so I think as a as a, a group of movies, there's still very much a, like it's an interesting universe. There's lots of different experiences to be had in there. The actual aliens themselves are you know, ahead of their time and their creation and their design and even even the effects. And so it's it's still a a good franchise. It is. It's, it's interesting looking at the amount of money these movies made as well. And, you know, the, the worse the movie got, the, the more money it seemed to pull in. It doesn't make any sense in that respect. Watching them back to back, though, I have to say, is really rewarding. They flow together nicely despite some of the criticisms we given it reminded me of when i did a a rewatch of all six terminator movies back to back a while ago um you really get into that universe and that's the case case here especially for one to three because the flow of those movies is back to back in that respect and you've got the 200 year gap um but it's it's a movie franchise for me that because it dips into the horror genre sometimes quite far it feels so much different to a lot of other sci-fi movies uh, like when you were talking about star wars and star trek and this one stands apart and that's not a bad thing it's just something that other than maybe event horizon and the abyss i don't think there's many movies or movie franchises that have impressed me that um that try and sort of straddle those two genres as much as this franchise does yeah definitely and i think what is good about it is you can just watch Alien, Aliens and Aliens 3 as a as a nice package mm-hmm. and not have that experience sullied. Or you can actually have the, you know, the extended universe if you want it. And I think, you know, before when I was saying, you know, maybe reboot it, like obviously when we were talking about Prometheus and uh, Covenant, it would be good to kind of round out, round out that story because, again, like uh, Prometheus is, is such a – a fascinating uh, prequel to to Alien. When when you have, do watch them in close proximity to one another, it really brings the story to life. And I think, you know, if you only watched them in the theatre when they came out, or only watched them when you were young, they there's a lot of continuity that really pays off when you watch them really close together. And they're a lot more connected than like I remember when when we watched them. There's, it's a lot more connected. It's a there's far more nods to each of the previous movies than you would have ever realised um, by watching them online. And one other thing that we haven't talked about as much as the video games, and this is something where I think they've done quite a few video games of this of this series, and and the one I played was certainly a good experience, and I feel like this franchise lends itself to the video game world quite naturally. And I think it's a great way to experience it. And some of them, I see Sigourney Weaver's name popping up and other people from the cast popping up. I think having those voices um, is, is really, is really exciting. And then of course, you know, TV, we've got an alien series uh, coming our way um, on TV as well. So this, this universe continues to evolve. Um, But this, 
I think because you and I were, you know, similar age, teenagers growing up watching them in the in the movies, sort of like three and four. There's something about that that it probably sits with us more than if someone was to 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 visit this franchise now at a sort of a teenage in your twenties age. I think. Well, I think that's the thing, right? Like when you watch a movie like Alien Three in the in the theater, you know your sphere of influence around that is literally the friends that you went to go and see it with. Mm. Um, there is no internet. There is no kind of like big culture around these things. You don't know that it's being overseas or how big the fandom is, um, particularly in somewhere like New Zealand or somewhere a little bit smaller where you're a, a little bit more disconnected from that. Whereas now we're in such a huge, giant global community that you know it's easy to find people in your camp or find people that you know i'm sure there's a group of people out there that love alien resurrection and can probably tell us all the reasons why it's one of the greatest movies uh in the in the series i would love to hear those views i, I really would i do when i look for other people's content i do try and find like a balance of different views but um it was pretty hard to find anything too too positive out there but dan o'bannon who of course created the entire franchise and uh, and wrote the the original uh, script for for Alien. Um, I imagine when he looks back on, well, when he he's di- he's died, of course. But when he when he was looking back on the movies that came out during his time, so those first four movies, um, he must have really seen a change that I don't think he would have quite envisaged. Because he still gets a credit in each movie, but of course, after his name in brackets, it just says characters. And I think. It's kind of like George Lucas, you know, when you sort of sell your, your product, you sort of just entrust it to someone else. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Indeed, indeed. But it, look, it's definitely been a, a fun watch. We're going to have to do more of these on the Half Measures pod. Definitely. And yeah, as I said at the start, uh, don't forget if you want to really complete your experience of this episode 73 uh, is where we review the the, the two prequels, um, Prometheus and Alien Covenant and also um, a special thanks to our, our Patreon producers of the of the show, Samara King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa and Linda Tevner, uh, if you would like to become a Patreon of the show and maybe recommend a, a movie or a movie series that you want us to review, then that's definitely the place to do it and you can find those details in the show notes below well, Dan, this has been a lot of fun. And yeah, I'm wondering what our next deep dive is going to be. We'll have to go away and have a think about it. If anyone out there's got some suggestions, then put them forward to us. Because when we do our deep dives, we're open to anything. So let us know at halfmeasurespodcast.com or on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram if you follow us on there at Half Measures Pod. Fantastic stuff. A pleasure as always, Paul. Until next time, everyone. Adios. <laughs>